0: visit AscentEquityGroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T EquityGroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: A lot of people will do all this homework and study all these different ways to invest in real estate and buying $20 million apartment buildings may be the most sexy or most attractive to you. But then look at your resources. So how much time do you have? How much money do you have? And what's your experience level?
2: If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast, where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Antoine Martel. How are you doing, Antoine?
1: Very good. How are you? Thanks for
2: having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm doing well and looking forward to this. Antoine is a 23-year-old real estate investor who owns a 20-unit building and does 100 flips per year that are turnkey rentals based in Los Angeles, California. So with that being said, Antoine, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Sure. So this all started four years ago when I was 19 years old. I was in university. I went to Loyola Marymount University down here in Los Angeles. I didn't want to get a job after graduating. I wanted to go and do my own thing. I was studying entrepreneurship at LMU and wanted to really start my own company out of college. While I was at university, I went to a real estate investing seminar. They kind of were talking about flipping houses and wholesaling and all the different ways that you can invest in real estate. And flipping houses was most interesting to me. So, I started to make all these offers in Los Angeles, but I didn't have much money in the bank account. I was just a college kid, and my parents didn't want to fund a full rehab project for a million bucks here in Los Angeles. So after placing 20 offers a month for a number of months, I never got anything under contract. I realized I needed to change my strategy, and that's when I heard about rental properties out of state and I thought that would be the perfect fit for my parents. My dad owns his own company. My mom had her own company. So no retirement account, no 401k, but my parents had some money saved up. And I thought that would be a great way for them to have a plan to retire at least without having a 401k. So I started researching all these different markets out of state and found a couple of good ones, Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, St. Louis, and kind of went to Memphis, Tennessee, bought a single family home, renovated it, rented it out, and then did a cash out refinance. So kind of the burst strategy. And my dad funded that first deal. And we bought that first house my last semester at university. Then I graduated in May and told him, Hey, I can keep buying these properties out of state and keep growing the family portfolio. So that's what I did. So my dad paid for my living expenses for a couple of months so that I can grow the family portfolio. And by the end of that year, we had 10 single family homes in Memphis. And then after that, friends and family started reaching out to us to invest out of state as well because they had never heard of people buying properties halfway across the country. And we started selling properties out of our portfolio to our friends and family, which led us to the company we have today, which is a turnkey company. So that's kind of what started it. We were like, oh, okay, we don't have to refinance every single property. We can also sell it and make a profit and then use that cash to keep growing the family portfolio. And Now we've built that company up the last couple of years to where we are today. In 2019, we'll do over 100 single families and duplexes.
2: How many did you do last year?
1: Last year, we did 60. And then the year before that, we did those 10.
2: (laughs) Wow. Okay. 10, 60, 100. How'd you go from 10 to 60?
1: Great question. I raised a lot of money here in LA. So I was not only working on building teams on the ground in all these different markets and researching markets and finding the right projects, but then also we had run out of money. So we kind of started this whole thing with just $50,000. That first house, we bought it with 40,000, renovated it for 10, then did a refinance. And then my dad had all his money back because of the refinance and the kind of the way that we financed it. So we were able to pull all our money out and that's how we grew our portfolio to 10 properties. Then after that, I kind of built all these different case studies based on those 10 projects to show people that I knew what I was doing and that I had rapport and that I'd done similar projects and similar project types in those neighborhoods. And then I would just network all day, every day on bigger pockets and go take people to coffee or lunch or dinner and just share with people what I was doing. And that in turn helped me grow my list and grow my network from zero to a hundred people. And those people started funding our deals then they were equity investors on the turnkey flips. So we would buy a property, renovate it, rent it out, and then resell it on our website. And people would kind of fund those projects. They would fund 80 or 90% of the project and then get a percentage of the profits, but allowed me to scale with my $50,000. Now I can just put $5,000 into each project or $10,000. So it allowed me to go from one deal to 10 deals really fast.
2: How much did you raise to the best of your recollection that year from investors?
1: That year, so 60 projects times $50,000 each would be around how much I raised.
2: I will do that. $3 million, Yep, $3 million. You raised $3 million. And approximately how many investors did that comprise of?
1: And again, people repeated their money because these projects are very... Quick, right? So they're two or three month projects in and out, renovations and reselling because we don't have to list them on the market, right? So I had the investors again from that networking. I also built a pool of people who wanted to buy turnkey rentals. So it was great. No matter what, I would walk into those networking meetings or the coffee or whatever it was and I would get something out of it, either an investor or somebody who wanted to invest in turnkey rentals. So It was perfect for me because I got both ends of the spectrum. The amount of investors was was probably close to 50 investors, but the investors would keep reinvesting their cash over and over because they would invest 50 grand, then they would get their money back plus the profit in two or three months. And then they were like, oh, wow, this is actually working. And then they would invest 150 grand. So it helps scale up very quickly the dollar amount that I was able to raise.
2: What were the terms? Terms were
1: it was a joint venture. Our LLC would buy the property They would invest in that project and partner with us on that project with our LLC. They would fund 80 to 90% of the total cost, which is purchase price plus the rehab, and they would get close to 50% of the profits, sometimes a little bit less. So the annualized returns were incredible because they were making a 10% return, but they were making it in two or three months. But I think it was worth giving that return at the very beginning because then people kept doubling down their money and it helped me really scale the whole company.
2: And that's why I said, were those terms. What are the terms now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's something too. We looked at those 60 projects at the end of the year and we were like, here's our profit and here's the payout to investors. And it was literally like 50% of the payout. And then we had like a little bit of overhead for other things that we don't really put on a per project basis. So we changed our model now. We still do joint ventures here and there to those people who are kind of grandfathered in and still have money with us. But we've kind of converted everybody to just being private money lenders where people just lend money and they make 1% a month for a six-month project or less. So 12% annualized return is what we pay out to the investors and first lien position and all that kind of stuff.
2: Any points at closing?
1: No points at closing.
2: Okay, so just nice and clean, make 1% a month.
1: Right to their bank account too. So just get their ACH and then every single month they're paid out at the end of the project, they get their principal back. Hopefully they don't want it back and they just keep it with us and we keep growing their money.
2: What's the deal that went backwards, sideways, just terrible on you? I'm lucky enough to not have had a
1: terrible deal yet. We've had some deals that have been pretty close to breaking even. It's lucky that we didn't have any investors in those deals. That's something else too. We started doing more and more deals with our own cash, which helps expedite our growth of our own money as well. So raising private money, paying them 1% a month, but then also using our cash more and more to fund these transactions. A deal that did go south, there's a couple on the top of my head. One of them was stuff being stolen. So we bought a house. The day we closed the furnace and all the ductwork was stolen out of the basement of this property in Cleveland. So I went and filed an insurance claim, et cetera. They denied it. So then I replaced the furnace. I paid for it. And then the renovation was completed and we were listing the market for rent. So whoever was watching the house knew it was vacant again because the contractors had left. Somebody goes back to the house and steals the brand new furnace again. So so they must've been watching this thing because I don't know. They timed it so perfectly that eats your profit, right? So couple thousand bucks you have to pay out times two. And our projects are pretty slim on the profit. There's a big margin, but the profit dollar-wise is pretty small. So yeah, two furnaces and all the ductwork being stolen out, it can take a heavy hit on your profit. But we were able to, I think, probably break even on that deal still, even though we got all that stuff stolen from us.
2: Did you put another furnace in it?
1: Yeah, we had to because there was tenants moving in.
2: Do you do anything to try and protect it?
1: <laughs> we can do that with HVAC units. We can put cages around them, et cetera. What we actually ended up doing was we waited for a tenant to set a move-in date. And then 24 hours before the move-in date, we went and installed the furnace. These people who ever do this or are stealing it could be contractors or contractors, friends, or somebody who has a lockbox code, but they really watch the property and they check to see if the properties are vacant. They don't want to do it when somebody's living there. And most of the time that doesn't happen. So we decided just to install the unit as soon as the tenant moved in.
2: How were they getting in?
1: There was a basement. And then from the backyard, there was kind of a barn door that would open with a left wing and a right wing. And they went and just popped off that lock every single time because it was a piece of crap. So they just kept popping it off and breaking in through that little door in the back.
2: Isn't there some video or security system, like maybe SimpliSafe or something like that, that you could install relatively inexpensively?
1: Yeah, we've never thought of that because this doesn't happen very often. We've done probably close to 100 projects now over the last couple of years, and it's happened twice where stuff has been stolen (laughs) and then restolen. And most of the times the insurance company will cover it up to like a $10,000 personal property. It just so happened that this time the insurance didn't want to cover it. So normally we're protected with that insurance company just this time for whatever reason. It was the timing or something where they didn't want to cover
2: All right. We'll move on. Contractors. I'm sure contractors are challenging. Do you live in Los Angeles? Yeah, I live in Los Angeles. All right. You live in Los Angeles. Your projects are not in Los Angeles. How do you navigate contractors? What are some tips you have?
1: Great question. I get this question all the time too from people who are looking to invest out of state. So one thing that I do where I haven't had too much of an issue with contractors, I only started having issues with contractors when I got into multifamily. Again, I bought a 20-unit building back in December a couple of months ago. And we've only had troubles with contractors who are doing like special things. So HVAC or electrical or plumbing, just those contractors, the, the special contractors have been hard for us to find and navigate. The general contractors have actually been, knock on wood, been pretty good to us thus far. I think the reason why is just the method that I have used to find and vet those contractors. And what I mean by that is I never picked up the phone and called a bunch of contractors and vetted them over the phone. I never went and visited or shook hands with contractors or personally chose a contractor for my project. The reason why is I've set up my teams on the ground to have a project manager, you can call it, for every single market. And those project managers have been people who have been doing real estate and renovation project for many years in these markets. So they already have the contractors that they really love and like on speed dial. And I have been hiring these people to manage those projects, manage the contractors, and choose the contractors for me. So I think that by doing that, I haven't had too many issues with general contractors because I have that person who already has those pre-existing relationships with contractors on the ground, actually manage the team. Some of these people, they go for beers after work and they're friends and they hang out and their families know each other, right? So if I just come in, the guy from California and, and meet that guy, from an ad or calling him off of some homeadvisor.com or something like that. He may not trust me as much, but I think that putting that buffer in place now it's John's project and they're friends with each other, but it's not really, it's unrelated to me and they already have that pre-existing
2: relationship. How do you find the project managers?
1: There's a couple of ways. So most of my project managers are either realtors or they work in some fashion with the property management company. The most important thing for me having a turnkey company and having rentals out of state is the property management company so they play an integral part in the renovations in taking the photos in getting the properties rented. So a lot of these property management companies will have people already a lot of them are required to have agents on board on their staff and on their team in order to sign the lease agreements and all that kind of stuff. So many of these people also buy and sell real estate on the side. So when I first go into a market, I try to find the best property management company that I can find. And I don't need it to be a huge property management company with 3,000 doors. I'm fine if they have three or 500 doors or less. 200 doors is fine with me as well, as long as they can have somebody or have somebody on staff who can help me grow my business, which therefore will help them grow their business. So if I can pay somebody off the property management staff or just an outside realtor to manage my project... And then once that renovation is done, they help me take the photos and then the property management company comes in and they'll rent that property up and they'll be able to grow their property management business all because they helped me get the project from point A, which was unrenovated and not tenantable, to rent it out. And now the property management company gets to grow their business by helping me take the project from unrenovated to renovated and rent it out.
2: What fees do the property management charge you?
1: All of my property management companies charge first month's rent as a lease-up fee, and then they charge 10% of collected rents on an ongoing basis.
2: Let's talk about that 20-unit apartment building. When did you buy it? What are the numbers? Where is it? Sure. Apartment building is in Memphis,
1: Tennessee, 20 units. We bought it in December of 2018. We bought it for a million dollars, so $50,000 per unit. The renovations entailed of full exterior renovation. So painting, removing the bars off the windows, renovating the courtyard, installing all new doors, all new lighting, all that kind of stuff. And then also renovating the interior. So the rents when we bought the property were $550 per unit. And this is like a B class, B minus neighborhood it's in between hospital district and a bunch of hipster upcoming hotspots. So there's a lot of young millennials, young professionals moving into the neighborhood.
2: What area of Memphis is it for anyone who's a, familiar with it?
1: Yeah, it's in midtown Memphis. The rents were five fifty per unit when we bought it. Our initial underwriting was we can renovate the units, renovate the exterior, increase the rents to seven twenty-five. Turns out that we were actually able to raise the rents. We spent a couple thousand dollars more per unit to get stainless steel and granite countertops and all this kind of stuff. And we were able to get the rents from five fifty all the way up to eight fifty. And we're about halfway done with all of the units now and just slowly as tenants leave we're renovating units and releasing them up for a much higher rent than we thought.
2: How much are you investing per unit?
1: Per unit it's gonna be around seventy five hundred bucks.
2: That's a forty eight percent return. That's pretty good.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it's very good. And then the goal is to do a cash out refinance with Freddie Mac at the end of the year. And just like we started with the single family homes, do the same thing for the apartment building. So we're expecting to be able to pull out all our money at the end of the year when we get long-term Freddie Mac financing.
2: A 20 unit last December that is a value add deal. How'd you find it?
1: Great question. For about nine months last year, I built a list of brokers on LoopNet and other methods, just collecting as many brokers in the multifamily space as I could who are doing apartment buildings or multifamily in Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, all of my markets. And I collected this list of brokers and called them first and told them who I was, what I was trying to do, what I was looking for, kind of my criteria. And then every two weeks, I set it up on just a calendar thing. Every two weeks, I would either call or email these people, reach back out to them, ask them if they have any deals available, if they have anything that fits my criteria. So for every two weeks for about nine months, I did that. Then it just so happened, I emailed one of those brokers on a Thursday night and he said, oh yeah, I just got a deal that fits this criteria perfectly. I'll send it to you in the morning. Friday morning, he sends me a little janky email with, a couple of sentences. And he said, Hey, you got to make an offer before we send you the financials. I was like, okay, well, my offer is a million bucks then. There's nothing else I can do. So the numbers worked at a million bucks based on the tiny information that I was given.
2: What info did he give you? He
1: told me 20 units, (laughs) one bedroom, one bath units. He told me what the average rents were. So he just wrote average rent 550. And then he told me operating expenses, whatever the dollar amount was, and then like a taxes dollar amount, insurance dollar amount. And then the last sentence, you need to submit an LOI before we give you any other information. I was like, okay, well you left me between a hard and a rock place, <laughs> a rock and a hard place. So I just did a super simple back of the napkin thing and the price per unit made sense. The rents definitely needed to be increased. So based on that, we just submitted the LOI. And then with the LOI, I wrote in there that due diligence doesn't begin until I get all the financials. So I wanted to make sure that they actually had some financials because trust me, there's some landlords who just don't even keep records and they just keep it on a napkin as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Let's go back in time. We don't have to go back too far because it was fairly recent, but you said you did that for nine months. You made a list first, then you called or emailed brokers from your list Every two weeks, and you followed up with them. Let's travel back in time to month eight. So, you still haven't got a deal, but you've been doing this for eight months. What internal thoughts do you have at that point in time? That's hard. And you just have
1: to keep going. And I just kept listening to podcasts like this, and people just kept saying, Yeah, just keep following up with the brokers, keep following up with the brokers. So, what I would do is I would just kind of keep changing my email and I analyzed a lot of deals in those nine months. So I knew that it was working. It wasn't like I wasn't getting any replies or I wasn't getting any deals. So every time I would email, I would get a deal, maybe something on the market or whatever. But sometimes I would get these off-market deals. I would run the numbers and go back to the broker and tell them, Hey, this deal is just way too overpriced. I can't make this make sense at this price, but keep sending me stuff that you have. So there was this relationship that I was building because I was replying to these people's emails giving them feedback on their listing from an investor's perspective. So throughout those eight months, yeah, it was hard to keep going and to keep analyzing deal after deal after deal after deal. But I just knew that the break had to come eventually and there had to be some landlord or some owner who was distressed. And it just so happened to be one month later after those eight months of emailing and underwriting probably 100 deals that I was able to finally find the deal that made sense. How many brokers were on the list? I think 20 in a bunch of different markets too.
2: Yeah. How long does that take you to go through and follow up with 20 brokers?
1: Probably 30 minutes. That's it. Yeah. Because I had a template email just in my notes and I would what copy it was, Hey, my name is Antoine Martel. I'm a real estate investor. I own a turnkey company called Martel turnkey. We buy rehab and resell a hundred homes a year. And that would say, hey, I'm looking for apartment buildings in whatever the market is, Memphis, Cleveland. I'm looking for 20 units or greater, less than $3 million cap rate between 7 and 8%. And I'm looking for 90% occupancy or higher. So that's kind of what the template said. And then the last couple sentences would be something I would change it up every single time. And I would say something like, I just did a huge cash out refinance. I had a four unit building last year that I bought as well. So I had done a cash out refinance and then I would just include that little two cent change in there as well. So I would say, Hey, I just did a cash out refinance and was able to pull out $250,000 and I'm ready to go. And I just got the check from the bank. So every time that I would email or every month, I would kind of change up that last final sentence to kind of tell them why I had cash and why I would be able to close and that I just sold something or I just refinanced something and got the money to be able to close.
2: Mm -hmm. And that's the first email because you're not going to introduce yourself to the same broker every two weeks or else you're going to get in the spam folder in his or her email. So what were the follow-up emails? The follow-up
1: emails were very similar. I would just say, instead of introducing myself, I would say, hey, by the way, I'm still looking for apartment buildings here's my criteria. And then by the way, I just did a cash out refinance and I have funds available ready to close.
2: Every couple of weeks, you just mix up the talking point. Sometimes you requalify yourself with, I just got to refinance. Sometimes it's just other things about your criteria or, or whatever else.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then let's say I had a ton of cash in the bank one month or whatever the case may be, or one day, I would just take a screenshot of it. And then I would <laughs> include that in the email too. Because I think a lot of these brokers get emails from California people all the time. And then they don't really know that the people have actual money and they're actually looking to close. So (laughs) I think that showing them the bank account and showing them the number that I had, I need to get rid of this. I
2: kind of make it urgent. Hey, I need to get rid of this
1: this money. You better send me something.
2: Um, Oh, I love it. How much was enough? How much would you be like, okay, now I think I should send this versus, oh, they might laugh at me. I don't know if this is enough. Since I was looking
1: for 20 units, anything over five or $600,000, I would just take a screenshot of it and send it. I think the first time I did it, there was a million dollars in an account. And I just took a screenshot. I was like, I'm going to use this for me yeah, forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I took a screenshot of that. And then for a couple of weeks, I would email that and be like, this is urgent. I need to buy something. I need to get rid
2: of this money. So yeah. Wow. So smart. Thank you for sharing all of your stuff. I'll summarize some lessons learned in just a moment. But first, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Best real estate investing advice ever is to match your resources to the best strategy that makes sense for your resources. So what I mean with that is a lot of people will do all this homework and study all these different ways to invest in real estate and buying $20 million apartment buildings may be the most sexy or most attractive to you. But then look at your resources. So how much time do you have? How much money do you have? And what's your experience level? And match those three things with the best strategy that makes sense today, that you can get started today. Because trust me, if you have $10,000 in the bank account and your end goal is to buy $100 million, $20 million apartment buildings, you're going to have to take a lot of steps to get there and start with step one. That may not be even related to apartment buildings. It may be single family, it may be Airbnb, et cetera, et cetera. But At least get your foot in the door and match the strategy today that makes the most sense for your resources that you have today.
2: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase Go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever book you've recently read? Best
1: ever book I recently read was The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone.
2: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? Mistake
1: I made was in Cleveland, we have this thing called point of sale inspections, where when you buy a property, you have to put pretty much a hold, which the escrow company holds until the renovations are completed. And I just realized yesterday that I sold two properties a couple of months ago and didn't ask for the POS hold money back.
2: Best ever deal you've done? the 20 unit apartment building. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I
1: sometimes go to the Los Angeles National Forest and we plant trees and clean up the shrubs and brush and replant new trees and also clean up the existing
2: trees in the forest. And how can the Best Ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Sure, so
1: I post a lot on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Martel Antoine m-a-r-t-e-l-a-n-t-o-i-n-e. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, all my contact info is on my website, martelturnkey.com.
2: Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Learned a lot. You're very wise and have some great perspective and resourcefulness. Just making a list of brokers from LoopNet, calling them every two weeks or email them and doing it for nine months and giving them feedback along the way when they do send you deals. And then Ultimately, sending deals and then switching up the follow-up process. That's just great. And then I love the match your resources to the best strategy to utilize those resources. I'm, I'm, I might have butchered that a little bit, but that's the, nope, that's good. That's the paraphrased version. Yep. And also just how you got out of the gate senior in college and started the company with your family and then have grown it from there. So thanks for being on the show. Enjoyed our conversation. I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to one learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com, and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one, and we'll check it out.